Good day, dear listeners. Steve Preda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And today's guest is Rob Ashton, the founder and former CEO of Emphasis, a global leader in the field of professional writing consultancy to the biggest tech companies in Silicon Valley, the world's most prestigious professional services firms to the highest level of government, enabling them to write better documents, live chat, instant messages, web content, and email. Rob is currently working on a new book about the psychology and neuroscience of the words we read, influence, or uh, the words we read, influence, or decisions. Wow, that is amazing. Welcome to the show, uh, Rob. Hey, Steve. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I invited you because I'm really curious about what you've done and uh, and your subject and what you are thinking about writing going forward. So normally, you know, this podcast is all about entrepreneurs and all about management blueprints. And so I'd love to hear about what was your journey? How did you get to the point where you created this global professional service firm and which is kind of revolutionizing uh, the quality of writing for big companies, big uh, governments and so on? Well, it's, uh, it's an unusual route and not really one I planned, but I started life as a molecular biologist working on one of the uh, earliest tests for HIV. I retrained as an editor, so I moved into journal publishing and then consumer publishing. And then that's really where my entrepreneurial journey started because when I was working in publishing, I was working for a company that had been formed by two brothers in the US. And I really kind of saw there might be a different way of doing things. And I, I kind of got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. So what I did then was set up this consultancy emphasis to focus really on taking the, the trade secrets that I'd learned as an editor and to apply them to the wider world. And that I, was, I did that for 24 years. So I set that up, that up in way back in 1998 and uh, only recently stepped down as CEO. So, and as you mentioned, you know, it's actually been my privilege to work with, with some amazing organizations from across all sectors across all sectors. Mm -hmm. So what, what are some of these principles? Because I've written a couple of books and I'm into these ideas. And several years ago, I found a checklist on how to write well. I think it was Jay Abraham, who was kind of a small business guru, and he wrote a book and he had a checklist for copywriting in that book. And he was talking about short uh, sentences, simple words, mixing short sentences with long sentences, having uh, action verbs and all that good stuff. Uh, so, so, so tell me a little bit about, in a nutshell, what that system looks like, what makes writing come alive and powerful. Well, I mean, all of those pieces of advice from Jay Abraham are solid. You'd expect that from one of the world's uh, most successful copywriting gurus. But it's it, that those are not principles that are universally applied in the business world. And in fact, uh, copywriting is only a small part of the writing that we do. And in fact, we've come to rely almost exclusively on the written word now. Uh, if my phone rings, I assume something's wrong. And uh, I think there are something like 219 million adults in the US alone own a smartphone. And they hardly ever use them for, for speaking. It's all writing. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's true in business too. So uh, email, last year we sent and received 319 billion emails every day. And that will be higher this year because it's going up by about 15 to 20 billion per day every year. So we're, we've just become incredibly reliant on the written word. And that's before you take in proposals, sales 
we say sales letters, sales email, but email generally. And we're using text-based messaging systems now like Slack. So you've got all of these things. And if you take those things you said, like varying sentence length, using action verbs, using, using the active voice, if you want to extend that to have someone or something doing something as opposed to the other way around, something being yeah. done to someone yeah. and using short words. Cut those, out the adjectives. Sorry? Cut out adjectives. Yeah, absolutely. Adjectives are often, more often than not, superfluous. Yeah. Same, same with adverbs as well. But those things are not generally implemented in other communications. And in fact, that there is also a misperception that, that, it, that writing clearly, for instance, is always about using only short words, because if you've got words that are technical and your audience understand them, and it becomes like an inclusive language, Mm -hmm. then you should use those. But often it's the words in between that cause the problem. So you have that, and then you have structuring for understanding. So, you know, copywriting is one thing, but if you're talking about documents, you need to get interest, you need to get people to keep reading. I always say that really the first, the primary job of anything you write is to get someone to read it. And so many people just overlook that. You know, it be, we think that writing is a case of data transfer. It's just, it's about transferring data from one head to another. And in fact, our computers and our um, phones become an extension of our brains, literally. We grow networks when we use tools like this all the time. And we forget that what's in front of us is just an extension of our brain. And, and the person we're writing to is often wholly absent. So we end up falling back on our needs, our objectives, what we think is important, what we think is clear, and we lose the reader altogether. So yeah, I say that the job is to get someone to read it, but the job of the first sentence is to get the person reading it to read the next sentence and so on. Because people forget that readers of anything, and we all do it, we read until we can stop reading, and then we do. And there are so many things competing for our attention, including on the screens in front of us. Readers are always at an extreme risk of stopping reading. So we just confuse, we misunderstand really how the brain reads. And that's a a different topic. But, you know, how the brain reads is not how people think the brain reads often. And yeah, there's, you need to work a lot harder, really. Because this thing is something we rely on, yeah. you know, we, we generally need to do a lot more to get people to, to make it effective. Yeah. I mean, now that you explain it, it, it's almost like compared to the conversation that you have, it's almost like flying blind because you don't get any feedback from the other person. So you don't know whether what you said, it resonated with the person, whether they're even interested in it. You don't see them yawning across the page and, uh, and therefore you're flying blind. So you have to be a really, really good pilot to not to crash the plane right and this is what you're helping people uh, do so so let's switch gear here a little bit because i'm really curious about what you do of course but also how you use that to build a global firm and one of the things that we touched upon which really uh, touched me and really um, interested me uh, over a pre-call was what we call a sequential function release. So you build this business with the process that we labeled the sequential function release and that helped you build this business up and systemize it. Can you explain to our audience what that concept is and, and how did you come up with it? Yeah, so when I, because I was bitten by this entrepreneurial bug, it was building the business that interested me as much as sharing these trade secrets with the wider world. I never wanted a job. Like most 
entrepreneurs, really. You know, it's I, it was, I wanted to grow something. But most consultancies like mine, they're only as good as the as the principal. Instantly, I never called myself the principal. You know, I called myself CEO. The idea was I was building a company. So they are only as good as the principal. They're only as good as the founder. And all of the knowledge is tied up in the founder's head. And when the founder leaves, there is no business. So I didn't want to do that. I knew that, you know, if it all relied on me, essentially, I was my own boss. Well, you know, being in my own head and beating myself with a stick to work harder and harder to deliver these things, I knew that that wasn't going to be very enjoyable. But also I knew that I would be limiting the growth. And you see this all the time. You see people, they set up training companies, they're essentially self-employed or they set up consultancies and they have, you know, if they're any good, they become successful but they are automatically limited by the number of hours in their day and they end up trading the trading hours for dollars. And so I decided not to do that. And so from the outset, I was clear that I needed to build a company. So in order to do that, and I didn't know how to do it, never done it before, I knew that I had to release some of the things I was doing and to do those sequentially, as you say. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first thing I released was delivery. Um, So I hired another uh, trainer and trained her in in our methodology. And that was something that I was able to build on because over time, I hired another trainer and another trainer. And as I did that, I was able to codify our methodology. I created a a whole learning program Mm -hmm. for trainers initially delivered live. That took up a lot of my time. So then I realized, okay, I I need to change this. I can't scale this is working, but I can't scale this beyond this because it's still coming back to me. I'm still having to train them. So I set up this remote learning program way before we were ever really talking about remote learning. You know, back then I recorded a video, uh, codified, I explained how I was delivering the course. And in that video, I cut in an interview with me talking about the course to, an, you know, as if to, to somebody off, off camera and then wrote comprehensive notes for how to run the courses and then made sure that we had a very stringent selection process. Uh, so most of the trainers who apply to join Emphasis, for instance, are, are turned away. Uh, worryingly, most of those are already delivering writing skills training courses mm-hmm. elsewhere. You know, I always find that astonishing that once we really test them. You find that their, their knowledge is often only at surface level. And then we train them using this remote system. We assign them a mentor, and then that can take up to six months. And then after that, we get them to run a training course to a invited volunteers and they're assessed. So quality control, you know, if you are a consultancy like ours, you live and die by your reputation. And I think this is one of the real challenges for yeah. entrepreneur-led consultants is 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 trying to how to ingrain the the quality into the business and uh, institutionalize it rather than just have it for the principal so that's fascinating so you basically created the program you taught the trainers now they can deliver it without you so you released delivery so what was the next function that you released and and how did that go well now you've got me selling (laughs) selling like mad to uh, try to occupy these trainers and, and make sure they didn't lose interest and go away, especially now that I've spent or invested all this time and resource in, in training them. So, and of course, these overlap. So, what you know, once you've got one or two trainers, then you know, then I move to releasing the sales function. Mm-hmm. So, 
hiring somebody who could help with sales, training them up. Because it was only one salesperson to begin with, that's something I could do remotely. I so got did you have a documented sales process that you could teach them? Or, or it was you- n- not initially because I found it's actually better to train someone like that one-to-one mm-hmm. and document it as you go. And then you've got something that you can then use for your next salesperson. So, and it was the same with training the trainers. You know, to begin with, I was training them one to one. You then get an idea of what needs to go in there. You get immediate feedback. You're kind of stress testing it. So it's the same with it's the same with the selling as well. And and that then became something that we updated as we went as well. You know, you have a process for doing that, but you need. You know, I I think you could sit down and write a plan and you know or write a process and. I don't think there's any need to do that to begin with. You're far better off just actually creating that on the fly and then amending that. So that was sales. And then we've got sales, we've got delivery. Of course, the, the big one I've not mentioned is finance. And so, but that was something that that we were able to outsource. So that wasn't so difficult. And finance is finance. You know, it's not, it's, it's something that fortunately is transferable. So it's not so difficult to find people to do that. But operations was a big one because this is, I mean, Emphasis now runs upwards of 10 courses a day. You know, I think about that when maybe ran one or two a month when I started, you know, mm-hmm. so, but that's not happened by accident. We uh, recruited somebody to run operations to get things out to the trainers to make sure they were in the right place at the right time. One of the things that Emsys does and, and makes life difficult, but it it focuses on individual writing samples from from every participant and, and does an analysis to show the the key areas for improvement and, and even produces a graph to do that. So it measures writing. And that's a lot of admin if you're going to do that for everybody, not just collecting samples from participants, but, you know, getting them to the trainers, getting them back. Uh, So that, you know, it was very, very important to have somebody running that. And incidentally, you know, in recent years, we have automated a lot of that. You know, we've built systems so that those things can be chase writing samples, for instance, both from the trainers and from the participants. But initially it was all very analog. And then that operations function is something we expanded but again, it's a core part because your reputation rests on the interaction with the client mm-hmm. and how and the client's reputation, if you think of, you know, it could be a, a team leader or it could be a learning manager, their reputation rests yeah. on how good the course is and how smoothly it runs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, yeah. so you have to invest in that and make sure that's good. So again. You have a training program, you have, you know, you start to codify it. So, so we release that function and then marketing. So I was then left with marketing and uh, marketing was the next one, but the last one that we released by then we could go all in. So if I look back to, I think it was about 2005, I wasn't doing any training at that uh, by then. Um, I wasn't, I think I stopped selling around 2006, 2007, so I'm left then with strategy, the marketing, and then we were really able to double down. So focused on our website, on search engine optimization, and on blogging. So mm-hmm. that that we really went to town on the blogging starting in 2008. Uh, and now that is, I mean, the, the website gets around a million visitors a year. And the blog itself is probably the most comprehensive business writing resource Mm-hmm. in the world, I would say, you know, I've not seen one that, that has a, a greater breadth 
but also a greater depth because mm. a lot of those articles are almost like books in themselves. But it's worth it because yeah. we're attracting people who are really engaged. They, they are people who, you yeah. know, but we are, we're, we're solving problems. I always you're, believe you're true that. Thought leaders. I mean, I, I find it fascinating yeah. and it's really interesting, eye-opening that marketing was the last one because often CEOs I talk to, they think that marketing is, is kind of a, an afterthought. They can delegate it. It's easy. They just hire an agency and they, they're going to produce the content. And I like to tell them that, no, actually marketing is the most strategic part of your business. And anyone who gets good at marketing, they actually stop doing it for other people and they start building their own business because it's not worth the time. And as a consequence, as an implication, people who stay in marketing often don't know how to do it. So that is just my bias, but this is what I, I experienced. So I love it that you kept it for last. And it's also interesting that delivery, okay, I get it. That's the first one. Sales is kind of surprising, but it makes sense because you can turn it into a process and you can teach other people. And you know, it's, it's all about converting those people that already are interested. So it's just the mechanics, uh, really. And then finance, of course, it's kind of a commodity. So that makes sense. Operations, that's really unique to your business. Customer experience, it is very strategic. So to leave it almost the last, that makes sense. And then marketing last. And then the very last, I mean, you stepped down as CEO a couple of months ago. So how did you release the CEO role? Just uh, tell us shortly about that. It was a natural progression from within. So it is, you know, to, to be candid, I tried to release the CEO role years ago mm-hmm. and it didn't work. I had a consultant in and the consultant was saying, let's release the CEO role. And we got someone in and it wasn't a good fit. And so I had to kind of back up and step back in. And so this was something I was hesitant to do. It's not something that I was going to do lightly, but I was fortunate in that we had homegrown talent. We had somebody in the business who was the sales director at the time and was taking on more and more really of that responsibility and proving himself. So it then became not a quantum leap, but actually it's a true quantum leap. Quantum leaps are a natural progression. It's not this, we have this idea of a quantum leap being this huge thing. It's, you know, it's it's a leap from one thing to another at the same Mm -hmm. level. So what happened was the person who uh, was sales director had really reached that level more or less. Uh, and so I was able to have absolute confidence in him and to, uh, and to step down. So it wasn't, so it was evolution, not revolution. And it was minimal risk. You, you know, it's, it's not, it wasn't a leap of faith. Yeah. You built uh, a great it, organization for him. So you just yeah. have to make sure that he's following the process that you have uh, created for him. Um, so um, I would say that, to, you know, I wouldn't want to do him a, a disservice. You know, I, I think that that he's better, much better than I am in many respects. So now I think it's if you do your job properly, you get somebody who's better than you are. Certainly for the stage the business is at, you know, I was good at growing the company to where it got to now, where it is now. And really, it needs somebody different to take it to the next level so it was a progression. So he's a great, uh, great manager, operator. You know, I, I think that there are 10 visionary entrepreneurs for one good operator for a business. It's, it's easier to, to be a visionary and just be in the, in the sky and, you know, dream about things and come up with great ideas. Executing, it's, it's much, much harder. So if you, if you find a great person who can execute, that is, that is awesome. Yeah, so- I think that you need to maintain the growth of the business as well. So you do need somebody who is 
who does have an entrepreneurial flair as well, because a business that doesn't grow goes backward. So I think you need somebody sort of to just to generalize this and extend it to other people's businesses. You need somebody who does also have an entrepreneurial flair. Otherwise, you are going to get drawn back in trying to create the energy and the impetus for growth. You you need something not just that can run on its own, but that can grow on its own. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. So our time is is coming uh, close to an end. But I I really want to ask the question about your speaking program, Silent Influence, and and you co-writing the invisible medium. So I'm really wondering about these terms, silent influence and invisible medium. What do you mean by these and uh, how do these come together in your speaking program? Okay, so invisible medium, because it's something we don't notice. Uh, So I mentioned all the ways that we're reliant on writing now, but we don't realize that we're writing. We don't, you know, we say, I'll send you an email. Uh, We'll say, I'll drop you a text message. We don't think of it as writing. What I've discovered since I've been researching, uh, I started researching the brain science of this six years ago. And so, that you know, that's why I've stepped down to really focus on it. And what I've discovered is the brain evolved to speak and listen, not to read and write. That's why it takes so long to read, to learn to read. We're born without a brain that can that, that is not equipped for reading. It's not, I mean, we can't speak when we're born, but we can make a noise and communicate with our voice. But when it comes to reading, we literally have to create a network in the brain and join together parts of the brain that we evolve for other things. So, and that's, that remains an incredibly complex uh, the process of reading remains incredibly complex, even after we've learned to read. And that's why it goes wrong so much. That's why we don't get our message across. It's why our emails backfire. It's why people lose their tempers on social media often, because it's a process that takes so much energy that it doesn't leave uh, much left for emotional control. And it, me- and it leaves us much more, tr- much more prone to cognitive bias and making bad decisions. So, you know, not communicating in a way that would get us a good decision. The other reason I call it invisible uh, medium is because communication is a, is a core part of any leadership program, for instance, uh, and, and of consulting in general. People aren't talking about written communication. Everyone talks about spoken communication, yes. and yet we're relying on written communication. So what I've done is I've created this free course called Silent Influence, all about the because it is silent. You know, you you read dots and squiggles on a screen and you hear a voice in your head, but it's all really it's silent. And so so it's a program really to help you get the result you want by changing how you write. Uh, and it's it's delivered by email, but each one has an audio version, so you can listen to it like a podcast. And yeah, that's totally free. And that's just at robashton.com/influence. Looking uh, anyone who wants to take advantage of it, can sign up there. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, thank you for uh, giving us access to this great resource. I love it how you explained. I never thought about it this way, that writing is difficult. I always say any mental work is more difficult. It, it's not visible. It's it's the invisible uh, uh, effort, I guess, uh, invisible uh, influence, invisible effort, invisible medium. And But I never thought, I never connected the idea that because it is a mental strain to write well, it's harder to control our emotions while we are doing that. So that's a really fascinating uh, connection uh, there that you pointed out. Well, Rob, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, so definitely uh, check out this resource. Uh, can you repeat, uh, please, uh, Rob, for our listeners where they can access this course? Yes, it's uh, so it's on my personal website, which is robashton.com 
and then slash influence. And uh, if people want to find out about the, the writing skills consultancy emphasis, which is still very much alive and kicking and doing very well, that's at writing-skills.com. Well, definitely check check out Rob Ashton on writing writing-skills.com and robashton slash influence. And uh, I'm definitely going to use these resources. Uh, so thanks for coming and sharing and also the sequential function release uh, idea. I think it's a, it's a fantastic idea for entrepreneurs to visualize how they can make this, their business uh, viable, how they can get out of this business, just uh, compartmentalize the different functions and release them and make sure that the strategic ones are released at the end so that you keep uh, the strategic control of the business and keep it vibrant until you find the right CEO to transition to. That's very, very valuable. Thank you, Rob. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, stay tuned. And now we are appearing twice a week. Uh, so, so check us out on every Monday night and Thursday night with new episodes coming in and exciting uh, entrepreneurs sharing and spilling all their, their secrets of uh, how they build their business. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. It's been great.